All right, Ecclesiastes chapter number three. Ecclesiastes chapter number three. I call this the balance chapter. It kind of puts life in balance. It's, one, it's a tremendous, tremendous text that uh, shows the balances of life, the times of our lives. In fact, in verses two through eight, uh, it tells us about 28 different seasons that we have to go through in uh, life. And uh, we're going to just try to go all the way through Ecclesiastes 3. So I'm going to just try to talk fast. This is not designed to be some complete study, but just kind of an introduction to the book for you. So we're going to try to get through all the verses. And then feel free to write down on your notes anything that uh, may help. Notice verse number 1 says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heavens. To everything, there is a season. Um, there are seasons in life. That's all you can do to, to uh, describe life is that life has its seasons. And to everything, there is a season. The season of life I'm going through is different than the one you're going through. But as we go through these, we're going to see that um, there is a season. Every season comes to pass. I have heard once, I don't know if this is a fact, but I have heard once that the most oft-repeated phrase in all the Bible is this phrase, quote, and it came to pass, end quote. That phrase is found 396 times in the Bible. That's what somebody told me once who has a computer. I don't know how close that is, but I don't know of many phrases in the Bible, I can't think of any, that are... Uh, mentioned more than that phrase, and it came to pass. Almost 400 times you'll read that, which means everything comes to pass, whether it's good things or bad things. Now, we're glad when the bad things come to pass, but sometimes good things come to pass, and uh, there are seasons uh, in life. To everything there is a season, verse 1, and a time to every purpose under heaven, uh, every purpose under heaven. There are things in your life and in mine that begin and end when God says so. And there's not a thing you or I can do to change it. We've got to go through that season. Sometimes they're wonderful seasons. Sometimes they're very difficult seasons. Uh, sometimes my wife and I talk and we say, boy, I hope we don't have to go through that again. We've been through a season. You've been through a season. Now, I wish we had a lot of time to study verses 2 through um, 8 uh, because there's uh, 28 uh, different uh, seasons here mentioned. And with each one, if you'll think deeply now while I go through it, you can make a physical application to every one of these statements. But if you really think it through and you're, you're in the Lord, you've been in the Lord for a while, you can almost make a spiritual application to every one of these statements. And he begins to make 28 statements about different seasons in our lives. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. Uh, well, that's simple enough to understand. Time to be born, a time to die. It says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, but when please God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. The Apostle Paul saying there was God who separated me 
from my mother's womb. And then on the other end of life, Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, there is an appointment for you and I. We're going to die someday. There's not a thing you or I can do to stop it. Turn to chapter 8 and verse 8 for a minute. It says, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. There's not one single person on earth who has the power to retain the human spirit inside of their body when the appointed day comes for you to die. Now, it does say, another verse that we'll study later in Ecclesiastes, it does ask this question, why shouldest thou die before thy time? It's possible to die before your time. And uh, it says, be not over much wicked. Why should you die before your time? Sometimes believers in Jesus Christ die before their time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And it's because they have unconfessed the sin in their life, or they refuse to get right with the Lord. Rebellious people especially, God seems to make a practice of taking them out early. Uh, just... Uh, it talks about the wicked uh, not living out half their days. So it is possible for a person to die before their time. So don't always say when someone dies, well, it was his time. No, it may not have been. Uh, it may have been a, a premature uh, departure from the earth. I know when my kids were growing up and your kids were growing up, if they were somewhere misbehaving, what good fathers and mothers do is they take them out of that situation where they are misbehaving, and they grab them, and they set them right down next to them. Um, and sometimes that's what God does. He reaches down into earth where somebody's misbehaving, grabs them, brings them up to heaven, and sets them right down next to them, and says, you're not going to embarrass my name anymore. You're not going to be a reproach to my name anymore. And he transplants them from heaven to heaven in a hurry. And I believe I've seen that done. Uh, and so we need to be careful. You, you young people that are here, the Bible says, Honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. And so you need to honor your, and obey your mother. That's the first commandment with promise, a long life. But anyway, we've got, we got to move here. There's a time to die. Then it says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up uh, that which is planted. And uh, I, being a farmer growing up, can relate to this. You, be, you may be being gardeners. You understand there's a time to plant. That will be coming up soon here uh, for us. And there's a time to pluck up and, and to get rid of all the dead plants later on in uh, the year. And there's also a spiritual uh, application to that too. And then it says a time to kill and a time uh, to heal. Verse 3, there is a time to kill. Um, that's true in the world. We don't like to think of it, but there are times when wars are necessary. There are times when capital punishment is justified, and that is one of the purposes of government, according to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Uh, one of the very first law of human government in Genesis uh, chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. There is a time to kill. Uh, it's the same spiritually. 
Romans 8.13 says that through the Holy Spirit we ought to mortify or put to death the deeds of the flesh. Some things in us we need to put to death. And then there's a time to heal. A time to heal. There's a time where people have broken hearts. They have a broken spirit. They have grief maybe from the loss of a loved one. And they need to take time to heal. Sometimes that happens in church. We uh, can have soldiers in the church who are laboring for, laboring for the Lord in a ministry in the church, and they just get burnt out. And uh, they've got to take some time and do some healing. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we ought not to be judgmental about them. We ought not to crack down on them and call them backslidden and carnal and all those kind of things. There's sometimes where people, you know, uh, serving the Lord is a, a battleground. And you can get weary in the battleground. And there's some times where somebody just needs to, you know, sit down for a little while. Sometimes when people come back to church after they've been away for a while, I'll tell them, just, just sit here and do nothing. Just, just get healed up. Uh, get strengthened up. Uh, listen to the Word of God. Uh, get back into prayer. Get back into fellowship. And then, you know, when, when you've been healed up, then let's figure out what, where we go from here and what we should do. Uh, next. And so there needs to be a time of healing. And then it says in verse 3, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to break down and a time to build up. We've got to break down some things um, and uh, we've got to build up things. You see that again. There's a physical application, a spiritual application. There's times where you've got to destroy a whole bunch of old buildings so you can put up new apartments or new skyscrapers or whatever. Uh, it's the same thing spiritually. There's times where we've got to break down some things. Um, we've got to break down our pride. We've got to break down our stubbornness. We've got to break down our rebellion before God can ever build some things up in our lives and uh, make us uh, to be uh, more spiritual, put some new things in its place. Verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh. This is all pretty simple stuff here. A time to weep. James chapter 4 and verse 9 says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. There's a time for weeping. It says we ought to weep with them that weep. Uh, when we uh, hear somebody who has maybe going through a funeral, a loss of a loved one or something, we ought to weep with them that weep. In fact, uh, you'll find that weeping at a funeral uh, is much more valuable than the words you say. Believe me, at that time, I've done 200 funerals in my life. They don't, remember, they don't remember your words. They just remember whether you were there or not, whether you felt for them or not, and uh, whether you wept with them or not. We, we ought to be those that we... Shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. And that was at the funeral of Lazarus uh, as uh, he uh, uh, came to the gravesite. It was a time to laugh. Uh, there is a time for laughter. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10 says, And Nehemiah, which is the Tershethah, or the governor, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. 
for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And uh, so here we see the preachers getting up there, and the leaders, Nehemiah and Ezra, saying, don't weep, no more weeping. This is a day of joy. Look what God's done for us. We got the wall rebuilt around uh, uh, Nehemiah. We finished the work. Yeah, we've read in the law about all of our faults and all of our weaknesses and all of our sins, and we've got to take care of this. Uh, we've got to make some reformations here in Israel. We're going to do that, but as for today, today's a day for joy. Today is a day for joy. So there's a time for weeping. There's a time uh, for laughing. And then it says there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. In verse 4 again, uh, we ought to mourn not just over the death of the loved one, but you know we ought to mourn when we do see somebody backslide. We ought to mourn when we do see somebody fall. And it ought to break our hearts. It ought to cause us to pray uh, for them. And then there's a time to dance. Usually the word dance simply means to leap in the Bible. Um, to praise the Lord uh, when the man is jumping up and down or leaping, uh, say at the end of the World Series and they've won the, the World Series or they've won the Stanley Cup or something and you see grown men running around dancing and leaping and so on. That's usually what the word dance means in the Bible. Uh, there is no scripture in the Bible that justifies the dancing of men and women together. Um, although some people have tried to stretch some portions of scripture for that, uh, you'll notice even in Israel's history, the men always danced by themselves, which meant leaping and praising the Lord, and the women did too uh, by themselves when Miriam led them out with her timbrel and they all left and uh, jumped up and down and praised the Lord. A time to cast away stones, verse number 5, and a time to gather stones together. Uh, we need to cast away stones. Stones are a symbol spiritually in the Bible of stumbling blocks. Uh, sins that do so easily upset us, uh, uh, beset us. Uh, weaknesses or faults or a lifestyle that we may be involved in that may cause someone else to stumble. Uh, that could be a stone. Um, there may be some stones in your life God wants you to cast away or in my life that God wants me to cast away. Then there's other times where you gather stones together. These would then be building blocks uh, where you, you start building blocks. After you cast away the things that shouldn't be in your life, you better get some things in there to replace them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Again, verse 5. Time to embrace. It says in Genesis 2 and verse 21, it says, For this cause, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Genesis 2 and verse 24, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Uh, so we see that marriage is the time to embrace, and not beforehand. It uh, tells us in second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, rather, 1 Corinthians 7 and uh, verse 1, it says it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And then it goes on, nevertheless, to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife. That's when God gives a man the authority to touch a woman is after marriage. And vice versa, it goes on and talks about the woman and her husband. Uh, there's way too much uh, fornication going on in our day and age. 
And there's way too much uh, physical contact going on between unmarried people. It's not right. Uh, the Lord wants us to abstain, to prove ourselves as real men uh, and real women beforehand, men of uh, self-control, women of self-control. And, and uh, even if uh, you or our generation fail, we should at least teach it to our children. Uh, don't be afraid to teach your children things you didn't do. We've got to quit being frozen in fear as parents. Um, just because our generation sets such a lousy example, uh, we can use it as an illustration and say, kids, look at, the, look at the mess my generation is in. Look at the divorce rate my generation is in. Look at all the uh, unwanted pregnancies and all the abortions and so on and so forth. This is because we disobeyed God's plan. And we have paid such a horrible price. You should never touch. A girl should be taught by her mother and father that she should never touch a boy until she gets married. And a boy should be taught by her, his mother and father that he should never touch a girl until the day he gets married. And that if they'll just show that five to ten years of self-restraint from the time they begin to be interested in the opposite sex until the day they're married, if they'll just show restraint and prove themselves, men and women, God will give them a good wife or a good husband, and they'll be able to enjoy 50 years of a good marriage together. God's plan is best. But so many that get involved in the opposite sex, especially as teenagers, and they do not show self-restraint, uh, end up ruining the next 50 years over a few minutes of unrestrained um, passion. And so it says there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. These are some of the seasons of life that we're talking about. And these seasons come to pass. They come to pass. There's a time to get, verse 6, and a time to lose. A time to get and a time to lose. And um, everybody has prosperous times and everybody has times of necessity. We should not go to pieces during times of necessities. 2 Corinthians 6.4 says, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. God brings us into seasons of necessities in our lives so that we can show ourselves approved, so that we don't go to pieces, so that we, I mean, how... How can you build your faith if you don't ever have any necessities? If you don't have any situations, God puts you in on purpose where you've got to pray, where you've got to fast, where you've got to depend on God because you have no other way out. Uh, and then when you get through the season of necessity, your faith is strengthened as you see God come through in some way. And then as your faith is strengthened, you can then enter into the next season of trial with a strengthened faith and not go to pieces. So there's a time to get and there is a uh, time to lose. And then there's a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to keep and a time to cast away. Uh, verse 6, the good Lord give you discernment on, on the things that you should keep. This is true again. There's a spiritual application. We should keep the wisdom we learn. 
the understanding, the knowledge from God. We should cast away our humanistic upbringing. Uh, the Apostle Paul even went so far as to casting away his education. In his case, it was a, a, a theological education in the school of Gamaliel, uh, which uh, caused him to uh, be wrong in many things theologically. And he said, I took all my education, he said, and I counted but dung. Uh, he said, he said I, I realized that stuff couldn't help me uh, in the true faith of the Lord, and so he cast it away. Uh, there are some things we, we need to throw away, and, and um, you know, there, there was a time where I had to throw away the theory of evolution. I believed in it. I had been taught it, but then I realized and was taught how foolish it was and looked at the scientific proof that it actually teaches the opposite, that the earth we live on is very, very, very young. Now, that's what true science teaches, not that the earth is very, very old. And uh, so you've got to cast away some things. Uh, it's probably true about some of your houses. If we looked in your garages and things, your bedrooms, you probably ought to go clean out some things maybe. Sell those things. Pay off some of your debts or bills or help somebody who's poor or something. But there's a time, verse 7, to rend and a time to sow. Um, it's pretty self-explanatory there. We've all been through that, ripping up rags. Uh, and then other, other time, fixing, mending pants and so on. Uh, same thing spiritually. We've got to rend our hearts, the Scripture says. Just rip them, rip them in two before God. Be broken uh, up. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Uh, a time to keep silence. Well, there's a, a new one for some people. Uh, some people just have motor mouths. They, every time you see them, they're just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. The Bible says be quick, uh, be slow to speak. And uh, that, that a fool is known by a multitude of words. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 32, it says the place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a asleep a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. Um, the scripture says a man, a woman, who can control her tongue is a perfect man, a perfect woman. They're complete. That is a person of self-control. When a person can control their tongue, they are mature. That's what the word perfect means. Then there's a time to speak. Jeremiah 3.12 says, Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. Uh, these seasons, usually most human beings have backwards. Time to keep silence and a time to speak. Have you ever noticed how Bad news can travel around the earth seven times before the gospel ever gets outside the door of the church. We've got our tongues. They're just not under control. We just live in areas where people live in darkness having never heard the gospel. But boy, I'll tell you what, the pastor does something wrong or this church member does something wrong or so on and so forth. And boy, does that spread through the church and through the community like wildfire. 
pretty sad state, us human beings. There's a time to love and a time to hate. We ought to love. We ought to love God. We ought to love our neighbor. We ought to love sinners. We ought to love the brethren. We ought to love our enemies. There's a time to love. Then there's a time to hate. Uh, God requires us to hate sin. And he says, ye that love the Lord hate evil. We should hate evil. Uh, and uh, we should uh, abhor that which is evil. We shouldn't cater to it. We shouldn't flirt with it. We shouldn't get close to it as we can, watching television and movies and all kinds of things. There's some things we need to hate. We ought to hate iniquity. We ought to hate oppression. Uh, the scripture says, oppression maketh a wise man mad. We ought to hate it when governments, for instance, oppress people. I believe our country did right. Uh, when prompted by the Bible, we fought slavery and defeated it in our country. Uh, that was the right thing to do. Some people say, well, Christians brought slavery to America. No, Christians took the Bible and got slavery out of America. And uh, the Bible, when used in a society, will correct societal problems. There's some things we ought to hate. We ought to hate abortion. Uh, we ought not to get used to it. It ought to be something we speak out against every chance we get. And uh, let's go on. A time of war and a time of peace. Uh, verse number um, 8. A time of war and a time of peace. We're currently in a time of war now as we bring this message in 2005. We've got soldiers over there in Iraq, about 1,500 more or more have died. Over 10,000 have been injured. And it's just a time. I believe it's something that needed to be done. No war is perfect. Did you know that? <laughs> did you know no war is perfect? Uh, did you know that no war has ever gone the way it was planned on going? Um, but there's times of war. And, and we're glad for the people of Iraq and Afghanistan even Lebanon now, where they seem to be getting some democratic principles in there, a little bit more freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion. Uh, we're glad for the Ukraine that last year. They've got a, a good government in there, and, and we trust it will allow them to have more freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And uh, uh, so sometimes war is a, it's a last resort, but sometimes it's needed to, to bring about a cause that is just. I'm glad they fought the Revolutionary War on, on, on our land uh, one time uh, so that we did not have to live under tyranny, but we have been able to live under freedom. And as a result of that war, America has been the greatest platform for the spreading of the gospel around the world in human history. So there's times where they have war, and there's a time of peace. We ought to thank God for peace. Thank God for the peace you live in every day. And the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, we ought to pray for all of those in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So there you have 28 seasons, and I didn't do them justice. I just tried to comment on some of them. But, but life is full of different seasons, and we must have a balanced life. We must have a balanced life, and we must have an inner calmness and an inner quietness to trust in the Lord and to rely upon God no matter what season we're going through, even the uncomfortable times. They'll come to pass. They'll come to pass. Um, 
and then uh, uh, another season will start. All right, uh, so don't anyone think that what you're in right now is going to last forever. Now in verse 9 we have a, an open-ended question. It says, What profit hath he that worketh in all in that wherein he laboreth? Well, it depends. It's just an open-ended question. There is no answer given it. It depends on your work. Are you doing the Lord's work? It says, What profit uh, hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? Well, there's a lot of profit if you're doing the Lord's work. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now listen, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So if what you're doing is the Lord's work, this open-ended question in verse 9 could be answered, there's a lot of profit. There's eternal profit. There's blessings on earth from doing the Lord's work, and then there's blessings in heaven. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, if you're here tonight and you're honest enough and you say, you know, I, I really don't think I'm doing the Lord's work, then you better find the Lord's work and start doing it so your life can be one of fulfillment. Verse 10, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. Notice God is the one who gives us travail. And, uh, well, why would God do something like that? Travail produces joy. John 16, 21, A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Uh, God knows that it is through travail that uh, only through travail can there be joy. Uh, it says about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You must endure your cross first before you can have joy. And so he endured the travail of suffering, a horrible, horrendous death for us, for the joy of seeing the millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people he has redeemed through his blood who would have had no other hope if he had not died for them. It gives joy to Jesus Christ when you lead a soul to Christ because then his sacrifice uh, was not spent in vain. So travail. God, God is wise. Please understand. Try to look for the deeper wisdom of God when you read verse 10 and the verses like it. I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised therewith, uh, to be exercised in it. And uh, life is a proving grounds. Um, and there's a lot of travail in life, but if you'll work through it, you know, the farmer travails and works hard in April and May and June plants his field, but then he has joy in September and October when the harvest comes and he sells and he gets his money in. The sports team has travail and training camp and sweat and sit-ups and push-ups and weightlifting and running wind sprints and, and just travail and pain and, and the team loses this guy to an injury and this guy to an injury and this guy to an injury and there's all kinds of obstacles that they have to overcome, but then they're leaping around like little kids at the end. The joy comes after the travail, after they have uh, endured all the hardships that they've had to overcome. 
there wouldn't be any joy if they just said, uh, well, we're not going to have a football season this year. We've determined uh, the Miami Dolphins are going to get the trophy. Here, guys. Well, that would give them a lot of joy, wouldn't it? Wouldn't give them any joy, would it? If they just flipped the coin and said, well, the Miami Dolphins, you're going to win the Super Bowl this year, so we're not going to play anything. No games, no exercise, no training camp, nothing here. We just decided you deserve the trophy this year. You think they'd be jumping around like a bunch of kids? I don't. Why? Because it's the travail and the pain they go through to get that trophy that produces the joy. God's pretty wise by bringing travail into your life. Verse 10, 11. He hath made everything beautiful. If you've never done this in your Bible, right? Underline these next three words. In his time. In his time. If you'll just work with God, if you'll cooperate with God, not get bitter, not quit, uh, not give up on God, not take things into your own hands, if you'll just work through the travail of your life and the suffering in your life and then just trust in God, eventually he'll make all things beautiful. However, what God thinks is beautiful is not what man thinks is beautiful. And here's where the problem with man's perception comes in. It says in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29, it says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There's only two things in all the Bible God says are beautiful. One is holiness, and the other is the feet of them that share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to man, we're the very opposite, uh, especially males. Uh, you know how males are. The only thing they don't look at on a woman is her feet. The only thing God does look at on believers is our feet. And are we taking the gospel out? He sees things different. He thinks feet are beautiful when they spread the gospel. So, He's trying to make all things in your life beautiful in his time, which means what? Well, he's trying to make you holy. He's trying to make you a participant in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, spreading the gospel. And so he's trying to break you to that point now. And if, if, we, don't, if we don't ever get that, then we're going to go through all of life missing what God is doing. I don't want to be that way. I don't know about you. I want to know what God's doing in my life. And so I study the Bible. And I now know everything he puts me through is so that he can produce more holiness in me. So that he can enable me to be a better witness for this is what's beautiful in his sight. Now, if you don't want to cooperate with that, then you're going to have a tough time um, getting through life. Uh, I'm going to close here. We're not going to get through the whole chapter. But uh, I just want to give you an illustration about... Uh, this, and it's a, 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 an illustration Pastor Shetler taught down at the campus church in Pensacola, a Christian college, about his lawnmower. I think I've shared this before, about how he bought one of those lawnmowers, the push lawnmowers from Walmart or Kmart, wherever he got it, and he had to assemble the thing. He had to put the four tires on. And we've all seen push lawnmowers, and you put the little four plastic tires on. You only got the white spokes on the inside and the black rubber around it, and you got a bolt going through it. And 
he put that on and he he uh, got them all on there. But one of the tires he tightened up too much and it never turned. It just kind of a jerk, you know, when he pushed it, jerk. But it didn't really slow him down. So he kept saying to himself, "I got to loosen this up. I got to loosen this up. I got to loosen this up." He never did. And for years he just used that thing until pretty soon the black rubber was gone. All there was was like the five white spokes all worn out, just you know, kind of going along and so on and so forth. It was all beat up, and all the other tires were fine, and uh, so on and so forth. And then he dawned, it dawned upon him. He said, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a good sermon illustration. This is, these tires are like God's people. There's, there's some that will not cooperate with God, but they resist the direction God is taking them every step of the way. And he says, they're going to go to heaven because they're saved, but when they get there, they're going to be so dragged out and beaten up and destroyed by the time they get there because God had to drag them every inch of the way to heaven because they just did not want what God had for their lives. And they resisted and resisted and resisted and resisted. Every direction God tried to take them, they resisted. And they were just broken up, beaten, and mutilated. They'll be in heaven. They'll be in heaven. But the other ones that cooperated just were freewheeling and uh, enjoyed what God had for them. I think that's what this verse is saying. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. We've seen a bunch of verses here about the seasons of life that God controls. God controls the seasons of your life. I don't know what season you're in. You may be starting a new season uh, in your life right now. Uh, it's going to come to pass. If it's a good one, enjoy it. If it's a bad one, learn from it. Uh, be strengthened by it. Realize God's trying to produce beauty in you, His beauty. He wants to make all things beautiful in His time. He wants to make you beautiful. In his time, uh, God takes his time making beautiful things. And God's not in any hurry. Uh, and he'll, he'll spend 10 years on a person's life just to get them to learn one lesson. Like it or not, he'll, he'll say, well, let's not go any farther until you learn this. He'll spend 10 years. He'll spend 40 years. Says, you guys want to wander? Go ahead. I'll wait. We'll have, you know, a million funerals in the wilderness. This generation doesn't want what I've got. I'll wait till the next one. I'm not in any hurry. Uh, God is not in any hurry. He's not in any hurry in your life. And uh, he makes beautiful things out of pressure. A diamond is a chunk of coal that made good out of pressure. That's all it is. And uh, every precious stone and jewel we know of is, a, is a, a stone that made good while under pressure. Oysters make pearls as a result of a long season of irritation. And so God sends irritants into our lives. And uh, God sends pressure into our lives and and um, to make things beautiful. If he does it with gems, don't you, th don't you think we're more important than that? And so he sends irritants into your life. And sometimes we say, well, where does, 
I got to live with this person or I got to work with this person and they're just an irritant. Where does this fit into my Christian life? Is God smoothing you out into a nice pearl? Uh, you know, over in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 17, you know what it says he's doing in our lives? He's making us into his jewels. That's the word he uses. Jewels. Pressure. That's how he makes diamonds. And he puts us under pressure. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. Pressure. But boy, when he's done, diamonds, rubies, sapphires, they're beautiful. So you've got to cooperate with him. You've you, you got to get over your bitterness. You've got to go get over your impatience. You've got to get over your uh, lack of faith and trust. And you've got to just believe in him, Lord. And just say, Lord, this season, I don't understand why I'm into this season. Have you noticed our church has had different seasons over the 22 years we've been here? They're just seasons. I mean, we've gone through just sometimes years that just seem like a cloud. You get through the year and you scratch your head and you're like, what, what, what was that for? Man, you know, or we just were neutral. We didn't go anywhere. Then there's times we just seem to go backwards. Then other times, the good old days we call them, where we just go forward and everything's falling into place. It's so exciting. The seasons... But you don't quit. The worst thing you can do, you don't quit. Oh, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, help us to leave with our faith strengthened that you make all things beautiful in your time. Now, Lord, I pray for those that are here tonight because some are going through seasons that are not enjoyable. Lord, I think of the youth that are in this room and how the teen years and sometimes in the 20s are so difficult trying to figure out what life's about, why am I here, what's my purpose, trying to control ourselves. Lord, I hated that season. I think of Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes 2.17 where he said, I hated life. But then came other seasons that were just so precious. Thank you that you're a balanced God, Lord, a perfect God. Thank you that you bring the balance into our lives that there's difficult times and there's good times. But help us to trust in you in all times. And make us into beautiful jewels uh, for thee. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.